Okay, uh, we are in the middle of our 50 series, and we called it 50 uh, because the Lord Jesus was crucified um, on the Passover, and it was exactly 50 days from the Passover um, to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended. And so we are looking at the first few um, chapters of Acts uh, together, and I'm actually gonna pull in one passage from the Old Testament because I think it's just vital to sort of understand the overarching character of God that's been in place from Genesis um, all the way to Revelation. So uh, we're gonna start in Acts 1. We're gonna read verses four through nine. And then uh, if you also want to flip in your Bible, if you have a paper Bible or if uh, you wanna pull your phone out, do that. Um, but then we're gonna flip back and we're gonna look at Exodus 33 and we're gonna read verses seven to 11. Um, so let me set the table here uh, like this. To me, the most powerful part of Christianity, uh, in other words, really probably the reason I am a Christian, the reason I've given my entire life to this Jesus is because it's all a love story. It's a love story that actually began um, in the Garden of Eden. It began with God coming and, and creating Adam and Eve and then coming and walking with them in the cool of the day. And, and it's a story about love lost back there in Eden. And then you have a number of books through the Old Testament and it's, it's this constant attempt of, of God to, to bring back his people to him, to reconcile um, them back to him. And, and that leads us all the way up to this hill called Golgotha or Calvary. And what we have at Golgotha or Calvary where the Lord Jesus was crucified is love restored. And then after love is fully restored, what you actually have on this day of Pentecost is love fulfilled and sort of the Holy Spirit descends and then energizes us as people to be companions and participants with him, the Lord Jesus, in taking the gospel, which just means hope. Gospel just means um, good news or, or hope-filled news. Taking that news um, to the people around us. So, you know, I love, I love um, the Bible, I love this God, I love Jesus because he is a God of love. So I wanna set the table with that and uh, I wanna look, um, dig into that here as we look at Acts 1 and we're gonna start in verse four which we actually read last week but I'm gonna read it again this week, okay? All right, here we go, Acts 1 uh, verse four. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Now bear this in mind, these are like the last words of Jesus before he ascended back into heaven. So he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, he's talking about John the Baptist there, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, they being the disciples, the 11 that were left, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And these guys are still thinking about an earthly kingdom. They haven't even begun to comprehend the larger supernatural um, kingdom that he's establishing. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was literally taken up before their eyes until a cloud hid him from their sight. Okay, turn with me back to Exodus 33. I've got one passage there we're gonna look at, starting in verse seven, and we're gonna go to verse 11. I love this passage, can I say? This is incredible, and I think if we can... Um, 
may the Lord have mercy on us and help us get into these two passages because if we can get into them and then get out of them, I think what he wants us to get in and out of, then we will never be the same and we'll never look at him in the same way. So verse seven, here we go, Exodus 33. Now Moses uh, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. Um, I want you to note right up front, used to take a tent. If you look at the Hebrew verbiage there, it's like an active present. So it, it literally is saying Moses always took a tent. So, so anytime that the Israelites set up camp, it says Moses took this tent, is literally what it's saying. And he used to pitch it outside the camp some distance away. And he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And wherever Moses and whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their own tents, and they watched Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, which is what the Israelites literally followed through the desert, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, would come down and literally stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshiped at the entrance to their own tents. Verse 11, the Lord would speak, I love this, I love this, we gotta get this. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as someone speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, and this is another one of my favorite parts, it ends on such a high note. Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, did not leave the tent. Holy Spirit, would you enliven us today? Would you allow us to dig into your word and would you allow us to take from this what you would have us take? Father, would you change our lives? Would you conform us and would you allow us to be a people who take every advantage of the opportunity that is before us in America? Lord, we love you, we praise you and we love you and praise you because you first loved us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, this great love story, and you begin to see some of it there. You know, I was also thinking back this week to when Abby and I first met and began to date. And when we first met, uh, Abby's my wife, by the way, if you don't know her, but when we first met, um, I was just getting a Facebook account, if you believe that, isn't that funny? Um, I just dated myself, oh well. Um, but I was just getting a Facebook account, and one of the things that, that you would do when you got a Facebook account back way back then was you would answer some questions, and one of the questions was, what is your favorite movie? And I got real sheepish about it. I remember talking to Abby, and I was kind of like, because mm, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to tell her. But my favorite movie is The Sound of Music. And I love The Sound of Music because it's this story of a father who's somewhat estranged from his kids and over the course of this story, they come back together. I mean, it's incredible. And it's this story of kids who've lost a mom and he brings a governess who becomes like a stepmom and the mom and the dad fall in love and, it, and it's, it's redemption from brokenness. And it's like this, it's such a beautiful story. And I remember I just sitting across the table when I first told Abby, yeah, my favorite movie. I mean, you know, I'm a child of the, I grew up in the 90s. I was born in 80, but I grew up in the 90s. And of all the things I could have said and been the normal guy that went Braveheart and Gladiator and, you know, I don't know what all the other, but I went the sound of music. And there's something 
in me that is like, it, it resonates because God is a God of relationship. He's a God from the very beginning of time who his heart is connectivity. And so one of the things that's going on right in this moment is we are, we are in social distance and the, the risk right now is that social distance actually becomes social isolation and social loneliness and social depression and social despair and social disconnectivity. And I wanna tell you this morning, I actually wanna look into your camera, I wish I could get into your living room, and I wanna say, breathe deep, rest in him, recognize we serve a fiercely relational God. Everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation screams relationship, it screams intimate connection, it screams fathers being reunited with kids and husbands and wives and even single people. Maybe you're like the Apostle Paul and you're not married, but he walked intimately with God. It is relational. You might even be sitting out there today going, I've lost a child or I've been through a divorce or you fill in the blank. We struggle with a chronic illness and I would say all the more God wants to meet you powerfully in relationship. There's even some indication that if you're in one of those situations where you don't have as much human relationship that he will meet you more powerfully. It's what the Apostle Paul actually says. So the first point that I wanna bring to you today is the offer of significant relationship. That is who our God is. He brings this, this like offer to each of us, to every human that will ever live, that will ever walk the face of the earth. He brings this offer of intimate relationship and, and connection. And I would actually say to you that if you study the Old Testament and you study the New Testament, what you will find is there is always, from the very beginning, to the very end of the book, there is always provision for regular, deep, intimate connection and fellowship with a father, and then with a son, Jesus, and then with their most holy spirit. And so that's kind of what I wanna look at today because I think in some ways the Bible's, uh, the Old Testament especially has gotten a bad rap and people tend to think of this as a God who is full of anger or who is disappointed or who is not relational and I wanna go, no, 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 wake up, because we're talking about Pentecost, we're talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out after Jesus ascended into heaven, and so what I wanna do is actually rewind just a little bit, and I wanna reacquaint you with who God is, because he is a God of the intimate relationship, he's a God of the vibrant, personal, and significant connection. So, I'm flipping back to my, my uh, Exodus 33, hopefully I have a bookmark, look at that, I do. I'm smarter than I look, don't tell anybody. Thank you for laughing, Caroline. She's behind the camera. <laughs> um, so Exodus 33, I, so here, here's literally what's, what's going on and what's happening is um, God gave Moses in the Old Testament very explicit ex instructions on how to set up the Israelite camp. And most of the worship of God and the sacrifices, so Old Testament, they sacrificed animals, which Jesus became that Passover sacrifice for us once and for all. That's why we as Christians today don't sacrifice animals. Um, but Moses would literally set up the camp and at the center of the camp, um, <clears throat> he would put this tabernacle and that's where most of the worship and the praise and the uh, sacrifices would happen with God, okay? But what's amazing to me is this passage that we just read because it literally says Moses would always take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. So he's literally um, gonna take a tent after everything is set up and he's gonna pitch it outside the camp and he called it, get this, get this, he called it the tent of meeting, because you could go there to meet with God. Now, 
we gotta kind of dice a few things here because in the Old Testament, you could only go into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place once a year and only one guy got to go and he spent a whole year consecrating himself and that's where the presence and the power and the glory of God dwelled. And yet... There's this tent that Moses puts up outside the camp and he calls it the tent of meeting and he opens it to who? Just to the Levites, the priests, just to Moses, just to Joshua? No, 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 no. He opens it to everyone. The tent of meeting is open and it literally says, anyone, now that's you and me, guys. Listen to me on your couch, in your pajamas, drinking your coffee, wherever you are. I'm sitting up here yelling at a camera. Ah! Well, now listen, it is open to everyone. Anyone inquiring of the Lord could go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Anyone at any time could approach the tent of meeting and enter into that significant and intimate relationship with a God, with the God, with the the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe. What's fascinating to me is as you study the Old Testament, most people did not take advantage of the tent of meeting. It breaks my heart. And I think this fits really well in this whole series because what I'm sort of suggesting to you, to all of us who are taking this walk in this series called 50, is it's possible to have given your life to Jesus and yet not be filled with the infilling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Someone actually sent me a Facebook message this week with a great question, I loved it. I loved the interaction. It was you know, not on Sunday like this, but it was, hey, it was interaction nonetheless. But they asked, uh, so are you saying you can be um, saved but not filled with the Spirit? And I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, I think that, that, that would be sort of the indication of what John 20 um, and then the, the, the um, consecutive scripture in Acts and Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit actually fills them. Can you be saved and not filled with the Spirit? Yes. But who wants to be? Because when the infilling power of the Spirit comes, it's joy unending, even in crisis, even in difficulty. It is certainty and it is hope, even when things look hopeless, even when things look uncertain. That's what this infilling power of the Spirit is. So when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament sort of equivalent of the New Testament infilling of the Spirit is the tent of meeting in some ways. And I wanna actually dispel some thinking and rumors and whatever you might think of the Old Testament God because he has been a God who has always offered a provision for deep, intimate, regular relationship. He always has. His heart was always to walk with his kids in the garden in the cool of the day. My favorite part of the day right now, my favorite parts in this strange quarantine time is when I get to go on a walk with my Abby and our kids. And my other favorite time is when I get to put Amelia, our two-year-old, in my little earth cruiser bike seat thing, and we get to go for a ride around the neighborhood. One of my greatest joys is to um, walk with them in connection and relationship. It's the same with God. Let me also say my other favorite part of the day is when it's dark out, and no one is up, and our entire house is quiet, and I pour myself a cup of coffee, and I sit with my one-year Bible and my five-year journal, and I interact with my Father, with my God, with my Lord, with my Savior, with my friend, and with the Holy Spirit who fills me.
We have a God who offers significant relationship. He offered it in the Old Testament. He offers it in the New Testament. He offers it to you today. Many of us, I'm afraid, choose not to take full advantage of all that he offers. You know, there was a a guy who came to our house uh, in the last couple weeks during this quarantine and he was gonna do some work and I'm not even exactly sure how it happened but he came up to the door and we're on my front porch and we're like talking and I'm sharing and, um, and, and he said something about some difficulty in his family, I think. And, and I said, you know, I believe in a God that can work in the midst of real difficulty. And he looks back at me with these big old eyes and he goes, God's after me. And we sat on the porch and we talked and we shared stories and he shared some of his and I shared some of mine. I got a tough story and we had tears in our eyes and it was raining on us and he literally looks at me again and he said, I'm not ready to give my life to Jesus, but God's after me. And I said, listen, my man, when you're ready, I'm here because God's after He's been pursuing you from the beginning and he will pursue you till the very end. And I prayed with him and I haven't heard back from him, but when I do, I'll make sure to tell you. But you know, here we are. And as we embrace this relationship with God, with Jesus and the infilling of the spirit, what flows from that is the power to change our own lives, the power to influence broadly around us, the power to lead people to Christ Jesus. The power and the purpose of God flows out of that place. It's the power that can actually change a city. It's the power that can shift a generation. It's the power that in something like the coronavirus can actually take people and shake us about and recenter us back on to a God who is holy and who loves us and who is pursuing us and will in his severe mercy allow something like the coronavirus to get our attention so that we can turn our affinity back to him. Because here's the thing in America, the churches, we've got religious, the pastors, we've gotten a little pharisaical, I'm in that category, and us as people, we have lost what it means to walk with God in the cool of the day. In some ways, we've lost what it means to go out to the tent of meeting and meet with him and hear him and listen to him, and in some ways, we've lost what it means to actually be filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life so that we know joy unending, so that we know confidence and hope and peace unending even when our circumstances would say otherwise. This is the offer of significant relationship. And as we stand at this point in history, I'm so thrilled that I'm 39 years old and I'm alive today because I am convinced that what is happening at this very point in time is the greatest opportunity that I have ever seen in my entire lifetime for evangelism. And I am convinced that the Holy Spirit wants to take this situation and this crisis and this difficulty and actually cause people to turn back to him, cause Christians to cry out again that they would be filled with his spirit and cause people people who don't know him to turn their affections to him and give their lives to him. And church, I don't wanna do anything else. I will give everything, Abby and I together and our family will give everything to advance the cause of Christ Jesus and his kingdom on the earth. And I could care less about anything else. 
And I wanna look into the camera and say to you, wherever you are today, you may be frustrated politically, you may be bored and, and disappointed with where our country is, you may be scared to death, you may be experiencing anxiety, you may even have financial or food scarcity or shortage. I don't know where you are. You may be struggling with even chronic illness or chronically ill children. You may be all alone in an apartment and feel like you wanna give up. But here's what I know. We serve a God who can walk into your apartment or your house or your place. And if you will surrender your life to him and embrace the relationship that he has always sought with you, he will change everything. And then he will give you a purpose to join with him to change a generation. Point number one is the offer of significant relationship. He will never force it on us. You know, this reminds me of the prodigal son story. I love Luke 15. If you've not read it, flip over and read it sometime. But I love the prodigal son. I've been the younger son. I've been the one who ran away and lived foolishly. I've been the older son who was proud and religious and stuck his nose up in the air. And recently I've become the father with our oldest. But here's the thing. God is waiting for you. He is waiting for you to turn back to him. You can find peace with him today. You can be filled with his spirit today. And as I come to the end of this message, I'm gonna give you an opportunity actually to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God if you've never been filled. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to surrender your heart to Christ Jesus if you've never done that. Oh, we live in a great opportunity. So the first point today is the offer of significant relationship. My second point today is the offer of infilling power and presence. I only have two points, believe it or not. But it's the offer of the infilling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And again, we see both in the Old Testament and in the New, this provision to abide in the presence of God, to sit in the presence of God. So I I want you to think with me for just a minute about the 11 disciples who were left. Judas is now gone. And the 11 disciples uh, who lived with Jesus, and they lived together, and they cooked together, and they camped together, and they hiked across the rugged, gnarly terrain of Israel together. And they, they wept together, they laughed together, They told jokes together. They experienced the supernatural together. They fished together. They swam together. They would have stunk together. If you've ever been on a backpacking trip with a group of dudes, oh my goodness. But you build relationship with these these people and we tend to, we go, oh, surely Jesus didn't do things like eat and go to the bathroom and sweat. Oh, no, no, I got news for you. He was real. He was real, he walked, he lived. And so these these 11 guys that walked with him got to see him in every spot, fully human and fully God. And they would have not settled for a connection that was less than real and authentic and powerful and intimate. So when the Lord Jesus ascended and he said to these 11 guys, hang out in Jerusalem, wait for it because it's coming like the power and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is gonna come and it's gonna overtake you and it's gonna fill you and it's gonna change you. And when it does, you're gonna go out and become my messengers everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Don't tell me that those guys would have settled for something that wasn't powerful and intimate and authentic. No, no, they were waiting for that infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was torn. That veil would have been 
in the tabernacle that we talked about a few minutes ago and it was a thick cloth and it was, it was torn. And when it was torn, the, the presence of God um, came out of that place. And what that sort of symbolized is God would no longer dwell in places made by human hands. God would no longer be in a building. The church isn't a building. The, the church and the temple at that moment actually became you and me. We became the temple of the Holy Spirit. We became the place where the presence of God would then abide and dwell so here's kind of what I'm talking about is this tent of meeting that we just read about. Our lives as Christians literally becomes the tent of meeting. It becomes the place where God can dwell if we so choose. That word tabernacle is funny, but it literally is the Holy Spirit literally will tabernacle over you. So think with me here for just a second about a tent. I used to do a lot of backpacking and climbing and guiding trips and whatever, and so I spent a lot of time in tents. And when you get in a tent, you have a roof over you, right? When you walk in a tent, you have walls to your right and to your left. You usually have a door sometimes to your front and back, but you are literally surrounded, right? You go out of this tent of meeting and you are surrounded. And here's what I want you to, to maybe get today is when those New Testament believers, when the 11 of them were waiting here to be filled by the Holy Spirit of God, what they were literally were waiting for is that the Holy Spirit would descend and he would fill them. And then he would literally like that tent, he would be above them and he would be to their right and he would be to their left and he would be behind them and he would be in front of them and he would be around them. And then in the Old Testament, they would eat that Passover lamb, meaning that he was in them. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes in you and fills you. So when you take your life and you go, Lord Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm a wreck and I don't like the way I'm treating my kids or my wife or my friends or I'm lonely and I don't have a place to go. No matter where you are, when you bring your life and you authentically go, Lord Jesus, here I am, would you come in and be Lord of my life, first of all? And then second of all, when you go, Holy Spirit, would you descend upon me and change my life? Would you fill me with your spirit? Then suddenly he's the God that is over you and beside you and next to you and in front of you and behind you and in you. He is the God who is with you. No matter where you are today, no matter how difficult it is, he is the God that wants to fill you and meet with you and surround you and take care of you. If you are stuck and don't like where you are today, I would urge you to change your heart and shift your gaze back to him. The Bible calls that repenting. It's just a Bible word for changing your heart and aligning your heart with his. This is a God who has always offered significant relationship, number one. This is a God who has always offered the infilling power and presence <coughs> of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it was Yahweh. In the New Testament, it became Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But it has always been that this was his heart. There has always been provision. I don't care what anybody would tell you or any book says or anything else. There has always been provision biblically and theologically for deep, intimate relationship with Christ Jesus, Yahweh, God, creator God, and the Holy Spirit. And for those who are willing to seek him and forsake their own way, he will fill you. He will be over you and beside you and before you and behind you and in you. I love walking with Jesus. Perry, would you come up here? You know, I, 
wanna pause here a minute and I'm gonna ask you two questions. They're gonna be difficult questions. I'm gonna get my water bottle. If you can follow me, if you can't, that's no big deal. Um, I wanna ask you two questions this morning and before I ask you those questions, I wanna be silly for a second, can I? <clears throat> I remember being in grade school. Um, I was actually homeschooled, do you believe that? That's, that's, that's kinda, of, oh, whatever. I was homeschooled till sixth grade, maybe that's what's wrong with me. Anyway, I was homeschooled, but I, there was this um, girl at one point and she wrote me a note and she was like, would you uh, go out with me? And then at the end of the note, it said um, there was three boxes. Um, and the first box was uh, yes, so it was would you go out with me? And then three boxes, the first box was yes, the second box was no, and the third box was maybe. Now permit me to be silly here for just a minute. What I love about that is it's crystal clear. Yes, no, maybe. Three boxes. And one of the things, one of the great probably downfalls of us as adults is unlike kids, we begin to live in the gray. So the answer might really be no, or the answer might really be maybe. But we kind of live in the gray and we tell ourselves, well, it's probably yes or I'll deal with it another day. But here's what I wanna ask you today because we're literally coming off looking at an Old Testament portion of scripture in Exodus and a New Testament portion of scripture in Acts. And what we're beginning to see is we have a God who is so fiercely relational, who will never stop coming after you, who will never stop pursuing you, who has given it all for you, who loves you, who loves me. We're a God who has offered significant relationship to you who has offered the infilling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I wanna do today. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Like just straight up, here we are, living room, wherever you're sitting, I don't know who's around. Maybe you have a kid in front of you going crazy or maybe you're sitting all by yourself. But number one question, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Yes? No? Maybe? Second question. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Now, I believe that that baptism or infilling of the Spirit can happen when you give your life to Christ. I believe it's most frequently a second work and more than a second work, I also believe it's a third work and a fourth work and a fifth work. And I actually pray every day, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? But if you've never prayed that right now, I want us to pray together. Number one, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Question number two is, have you been filled with his most Holy Spirit? Because you can be a quote Christian and not be filled with the Spirit. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna pray about both categories. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray with me. There's no magic words. It's a surrendered heart. It's a surrendered life. And if you've never been filled with the Spirit, I wanna pray and have you pray along with me. So wherever you are in your living room, if the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, press pause if you have chaos going on and clear the room out and find a space where you can be alone. If there's two or three of you and your family gathered, then join me here together. Let's pray. 
So as we go, number one, if you've never received Christ, if you would answer no, never surrendered your life to Christ, that's a better word for it. If you would answer no, or maybe now's your time. Question number two, if you've never received the full infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, now's the time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, here we are. You who are sitting in your living rooms, would you just repeat after me? Father, I wanna welcome you into my heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin, I turn from my own way, I turn from being the captain of my own ship and in control of my own destiny, and I surrender my life wholly to you and ask that you would forgive me and that the very blood of Jesus and the resurrection power would come over me. I give you my life. Would you walk with me, would you talk with me, and would you teach me to steal away into the tent of meeting? Would you teach me to listen to your voice, to walk with you in the cool of the day. Group number two, if you're sitting in your living room and you would say, Michael, I have never been filled with the Spirit, or maybe you would say, I'm not sure if I've been filled with the Spirit. Repeat after me. Holy Spirit, I worship you because you're God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I would ask you today, Holy Spirit, to come in and to fill me up. And symbolically, I even think of myself walking into a tent where the very presence of the Holy Spirit is over me and beside me to my right and to my left, in front of me and behind me. And just like the Israelites ate the lamb in the Old Testament, I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would now come into me and you would fill me and that you would change me and that you would shape me and that you would make me to be the person you want me to be. Now, as a church, Father, would you remind us all that we've been crucified with Christ Jesus? Would you remind us all that you've paid it all? Would you remind us all that you are beckoning us into relationship, ongoing, deep, intimate, profound relationship with you? Father, in the midst of this strange social isolation, in the midst of a pandemic, Father, would you make us a group of people who responds to your love with lavish love of our own? In your name we pray.